Welcome to the CSL Olympia podcast. In this episode, you will hear an opening prayer, followed by a talk. You can learn more about us at our website, cslolympia.org. Blessings. Good morning, everyone. Oh, I open my whole being to spirit. Fabulous intention. There is only one. There is only one spirit. It's all of us together. And all we can conceive of together is that one. Might call it God, might call it source. The name is not important. The knowledge, the awareness is the important thing. So I am aware of that oneness that I am of. I am a unique manifestation of the one. Each of us is unique manifestations of the one, limited only by our belief. So today I choose to believe there is only love. There is only grace. There is only wisdom. There are a lot of other things I focus on. Today, I focus on the sacred knowledge of all of it. I am not a puzzle piece. I am the puzzle. The music of the spheres. We are each of that music. We are each an overflowingness. Oh, goody, a new word. We are each that, that overflowing of spirit into the world. I feel that love. I feel that grace. I feel that wisdom. I feel that. And I call it with my word. I set an intention that I experience more and more of that good. And so it is. It does come, because that's how it works. So how it works is so important to my understanding of the world. That is my faith. My God, my spirit, that thing of which I am, responds to me, uniquely to me, uniquely to you, uniquely to all of us responds to our thoughts, responds to our intentions. So I call consciously the good. And here it is today. And actually, here it is every day. So with that awareness and with that gratitude, that power that is the the power behind gratitude, the power of gratitude, I release my word into that law, and that law's already on it, working on it, got the tools out. Yep, we're building that. Yep, it's done. So join me in affirming this by saying, and so it is. So we've been looking this whole month at kind of a semi-playful but also serious uh, look at, at um, a kind of a paraphrase of Dorothy's little chant as she's going down the, the uh, uh, yellow brick road where she's saying, lions and tigers and bears, oh my. 
And so we've been looking at the mundane, the sacred, and the profane. Oh, my. And so we've looked at everyday, the everyday things of life, the mundane, and we've been called to see the divine within that mundane, within that everyday. And that was followed by what we call the sacred, that in which we feel the divine presence uh, more deeply. And we perceive whatever, however we perceive that presence to be. And then last week we explored the profane, which originally means outside the temple or church. And we looked at how oftentimes an organization that surrounds the original vision that, that the, the founder or, or the original visionary of, of, um, of a spiritual tradition had starts to get rigid, starts to get protective, starts to be like a little shell around the, the kind of tender organism within it. And so it's necessary to once again escape out into the wild, out beyond those walls, out into the unmapped area where the mystics live. And so that's been our, our kind of journey that we're looking at. And so today as we approach the end of this yellow brick road, we look at Oh my, which is the realization that it's all sacred. Yes? It's all sacred. Not in the religious inside the approved temple sort of way, but in the realization that since the divine is all there is, everything is the divine. Everyone is the divine, just in different forms. So we can equate it to watercolors, where you know each color is unique, each color appears different, but when we add a little water, a lot of water of consciousness, a water of love, if you will, uh, a lot water of awareness of the sacredness of it all, we can see and create something beautiful with those watercolors. And so the, the unique individual colors both shine but also intermingle with each other and create something new. Ernest Holmes, in, in his statement of what I believe, said, I believe in the individualization of the Spirit in us, and that all people are individualizations of the one Spirit. All people. I would say all beings, all life form itself, all of life, from mineral to plant to, to uh, animal to human to whatever's beyond human, all of it is life itself. Well, each aspect of life and each person is unique and to be seen and honored as that uniqueness because we're not here to be a, a blending and a homogenization and a, a, you know, imagine a watercolor where there's just everything is all blended together and there's no distinction of color. We want each individual color in that painting, Yes. It's special, it's, it's important, but we must simultaneously perceive the initiating unity behind multiplicity. The oneness that's within, through, and as all of us. So we get to simultaneously look at the individual, the unique, and yet recognize that behind that there is this oneness, there is this unity. Simultaneously. So you and I are one, and you and I are individual. Simultaneously. Isn't that fun? It should be fun. It can be fun. It's healthy to discern with our minds, to be aware of the differences which bring the color, the flavor, the music, the sounds to our lives. How boring would it be to have a monotone life? Yes? 
But when we move from discernment to judgment, when we move and start evaluating this is good, this is bad, this is right, this is wrong, we separate ourselves from the ability to enjoy life, from that sense of, as the French put it, viva la difference. I know that was poorly pronounced. I'm sorry, I, you know, my French is not good. But you got the idea, yes? We move from that to a narrow separation between good, bad, right, wrong, and we get stuck in that narrow one-dimensional outlook on life. My way is the right way. My way is the only way. And you should all be doing it my way. And that takes all the color and the joyous flavor of life and reduces it to a safe, flat monotone. Breathe. Because that's not us. That's not what we're about. But it is. It's one thing to know about oneness. But in case you haven't noticed, it can be more challenging to live day to day and embody that knowledge in our everyday lives. Yes? We forget once in a while. Our intellects love to categorize, to assign values, and then to neatly assign and organize everything into little categories. This, is, this works, this doesn't work. And then judge. But as you've noticed, and I know you've noticed, life doesn't fall into neat little categories, does it? Okay. And the more rigidly we try to hang on to these arbitrary and conditioned judgments of life, because they're really not ours, we got taught them, yes? We got taught them by people who got taught them, by people who got taught them. The more we try to hang on to those, the more stress and unhappiness we experience, and the more rigid we become. The infinite mind is a creator. It's an artist. It's a mystic. And because we are embodiments of that, because we are individualizations of that, we ourselves then are creators, artists, mystics. And that is what we want to express in our lives. Yes? Yes? Thank you. And that's for you. That's not for me. I want you to embody that. Yes, I do want to express that creative, that mystical, that artistic. This is where we experience oftentimes the greatest joy in our lives. And artistic doesn't mean that I have to be able to paint magnificent paintings. It's just where do I express my uniqueness in a way that's pleasing to me? We can judge others and ourselves. And when we're judging others, we're really judging ourselves our own unaccepted, unhealed aspects that we prefer not to face. And don't we just hate it when somebody else out there shows up and acts it out for us? <laughs> they act out our own hidden thoughts and our in hidden fears. So as we begin to accept that infinite oneness is all, as we begin to accept that light and dark, joy and sadness, peace and conflict, high and low is all. It's not limited, this infinite is not limited by our limited value systems. It's showing up as all of this. We become more joyful, we become more peaceful when we recognize that that allness is being itself. We're more able to flow with and be more creative in life we begin to allow the nature of love, that capital L, love, 
which is the nature of the infinite, to flow. We become openings, we become conduits for that flow of life, that flow of love. And we don't even judge ourselves for judging. We simply recognize our own judgments as windows into which to see where we can experience greater healing and growth. What if every time you caught yourself judging somebody or something, instead of beating yourself up and going, oh, I shouldn't be doing that, or instead of just saying, no, I want to do that, (laughs) we look at that as, oh, this is a window into where it is that I want to experience more wholeness. As I was researching this talk, I googled lions and tigers and bears just to see what would show up. And I was surprised to see a Baptist site that mentioned this. And I was initially judgmental. (laughs) Baptists. Mm. But I decided to be curious, which is the antidote to judgment, by the way, and checked it out. And it was interesting because the writer talked about how often after a big success, a breakthrough, an insight, uh, we experience struggle. Anybody notice that? Yeah? One of my early teachers used to say that whenever we go for love, and I'll take that as any high value, we experience anything unlike, love brings up anything unlike itself for the purpose of healing and release. Now, we like the for the purpose of healing and release part, but we don't like that it brings up anything unlike itself part, yes? Yeah, that's ugly. Mm -hmm. But if we remember when we're in this part that it's for the purpose of healing and release, we can walk through it. So she used the example of Jesus, of course. She's a Baptist. And I do say she because it wasn't a guy writing the article. It was actually a woman writing the article. She used Jesus as one example of how following his baptism in the Jordan River, which was a a declaration of his allegiance to God, not Rome, which, by the way, was the real birth of the Christ. I know we're going to celebrate that kind of officially uh, in, in a month, but first of all, nobody really knows when that Jesus person was born. Many experts say it was probably in the springtime. And any of you who know the history of that know that the Roman Emperor Emperor, um, Constantine planted that on that day to kind of deal with the Saturnalia feast, which had gotten out of hand in his day and age, which had turned into a, uh, which was a solstice festival celebrating the return of the sun. And it turned from a simple day to a week of revelry and, and, you know, drunkenness and orgies and, and no work was getting done and nothing was happening. And so he planted this, he had converted to Christianity, planted this Christian holiday onto the equivalent of December 25th in the calendar. In case you don't know how, you know how Christmas began, that's how Christmas began on that day. So when your friends say Jesus is the reason for the season, it's really not, the sun's the reason for the season. But anyway, I diverse. I digress. I divert. All of that. So after Jesus gets baptized, which is the birth of the Christ consciousness, he's immediately driven by spirit out into the desert where he spends 40 days facing down his own demons. Yes? And interestingly, she equated Satan, the word Satan, from the Hebrew, Shatan in in Hebrew, not as some being, 
but as the internal voice of accusation or the voice which undermines. That's a very new thought way of looking at this Satan, isn't it? That is not your typical traditional, my idea of what a Baptist looks at it like. That's what kind of caught my attention. So she goes on to say, it's the voice which whispers straight after marriage, you could do better, and raises, and raises doubts about our commitments. That was, by the way, the, the entry point for her, was she had just gotten married, and then all of a sudden noticed that all these handsome men were appearing around her, and she was wondering if she had picked the right one. And when she began to realize what was really operating, she said, all these fine chaps are fine chaps, but I'm really happy with the one I picked, and I'm in the right relationship. But that's that voice. She said it, feels, it feeds our envy of other people's lives. It threatens laughter like a whip. and holds us to the status quo whenever we are called to risk the ridicule and the mockery that can come when we follow Jesus. We would call it spirit. Satan is present every time we judge someone or run them down. Satan tells us that churches are full of hypocrites, when in truth they are full of people fighting demons. That's her words. We might say dealing with or healing their issues. Anybody here healing with their issues still besides me? Okay, yeah. <laughs> Satan suggests that all our efforts are worthless and we may as well quit and enjoy ourselves when in fact all of our efforts have meaning and power and without that meaning, our lives turn to dust. This is the voice of Satan, and we all know the voice. That's a pretty dang new thought version of, of a Baptist, right? Yeah. I love that. And so while it is a bit Baptist, it acknowledges that inner voice that judges, separates, and creates suffering in our own and other people's lives. When we're listening to this voice, we're not listening to the voice of spirit. If you ever want to know what you're doing, and if you ever want the antidote, again, for if you find yourself judging, start saying, I'm not listening to the voice of, of spirit. Let me turn myself around and start to listen to that voice. That voice of love, that voice of oneness, that voice of creativity, artistic creativity. So it can be challenging to be present in the world today, Yes. We are surrounded by distractions. We're surrounded by to-do lists that shout that there's no time or the hopelessness that can come when we look at the circumstances in the world. It can be painful to be present. It can be painful to be present to all the suffering and to feel helpless in the face of it all, feeling unable to change it. Anybody besides me encounter that at times? it can help to remember that there have always been challenging circumstances in the world. When Jesus was alive, they lived, their, his, he and his people lived being ruled by the Roman Empire, which taxed them crazily, and basically was an occupying army. Mystics in all times and places have often been at risk of being persecuted or killed, ostracized, their whole work denied, excommunicated, censored, all that stuff. Disease and famine and poverty and control by others have been long-standing patterns in human existence. Have you noticed? Okay. So the circumstances we face today are unique to today, but the pattern isn't. It's been around since human beings have been around. 
If we are to rise above conditions and shift them even slowly, even a little bit, we have to stay present. We must remember that that oneness, that there is this oneness, even when we cannot see it. When we must, as Howard Thurman puts it, walk in the light of remembered radiance. We may never know the long-term ramifications of our actions, but living in conscious awareness of the sacred in and as all and embodying that awareness in our lives bit by bit by bit dismantles the prison of judgment. 68 years ago this Friday, an African-American woman named Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat in the colored section of the Montgomery, Alabama bus to a white person. Mrs. Parks, this is not a random act. You know, there's this kind of myth that she was just tired and wasn't going to do it. No, what she said afterwards was, I wasn't any more physically tired that day than any other day. I was tired of being pushed around as a black person. And she had been working already for over a decade with the NAACP working for black people's rights. She'd been advocating for justice for black people. Simply asked to be seen as just as sacred as whites. This one act, seemingly small, this one act on this one day sparked the civil rights movement. It was like a fire that, set, that opened it up. And it wasn't a huge act on the surface. She was just engaged in the mundane task of riding the bus home from work. But because she was conscious and because she could view the sacred in everything, she could take the profane act, the act that is outside of the temple of white privilege and superiority, so that she could stand up for or stay seated for her own and others like her's sacredness. Seeing the perfection that exists at the level of spirit does not allow us to turn away but rather calls us deeper into action and into deeper action. Fully living the sacred, mundane, and profane parts of our lives each and every day, seeing the oneness, seeing the oneness, looking past what seems like the shell and seeing behind that, oh, I see you hiding back there. There's that oneness. The true sacred in every aspect of life, it's up to us to see and express all these aspects everywhere in our lives? Can we see the sacred in the routine of the mundane? Do we get just caught up in the mind-numbing process of the day-to-day of life? Or are we willing to say, you know what, I'm willing to play the game of hide-and-seek with the divine, and I'm willing to see it. I'm willing to play with it. Can we see the beauty of the sacred in the shock and the sudden call to awaken in the profane? If we're part of the system... We don't like the profane, right? And we're all part of a system somewhere. Yes? Breathe. There's a part of us that's always in the temple, the, the, the official temple, and we don't like it when somebody comes around and does profanity. I don't necessarily mean words, but actions to wake us up. Can we place awakening and awareness to the truly sacred above our desire to be comfortably numb. 
When we open up our watercolor palette to paint a masterpiece, which is our lives, we step fully into our consciousness to see the gift that each color brings and to watch as the water of love turns them into something brand new. So this week, I'm going to invite you to practice one spiritual practice, and that is to practice compassionate curiosity. Compassionate curiosity. When you experience rigid judgment, your own or another's, ask, what is this shining a light on within myself that I haven't yet accepted? What is this shining a light on within myself that I haven't accepted? And then actively begin to accept that part of yourself. You don't have to change it. You don't have to sit there and go, oh, I hate that aspect, I'm going to go change that. No, just accept it. You know, many of you remember when I first arrived here as a minister, six and a half, whatever it was, years ago, I heard a lot of, we don't like the building we're in. And what I invited people to do was love where you're at. It's the first step. And so if you notice that you're a judgmental person, if you notice that you've got issues going on, love yourself as you are. That doesn't mean continue to engage in that, but at least love yourself where you are. God, I worked hard to be judgmental. Right? And then you can ask, do I want to continue to work hard to be this? And then you might say, no. And then it just falls away. Actively accept that aspect of yourself with love, with self-compassion, and with kindness. Are you willing to play with that this week? Great. So I'm going to close with a quote that comes from Dennis Merritt Jones, who says, while we may prefer roses or weeds, it doesn't mean one is more sacred than the other. The divine imbues itself equally in all living things, which includes each of us. What value shall we place on all that our eyes gaze upon today? Will you, as you gaze upon life, as you gaze upon the different aspects of life, value it all? So we have an affirmation to remind us of that. You say this with me, please. I see every aspect of life as a sacred expression of spirit. And one more time. I see every aspect of life as a sacred expression of spirit. So I do, and so it is. Thank you.